Hello and welcome to Sounds Heal Podcast. I am your host, Natalie Brown, and thank you so much for joining me as we continue to explore the fields of sound therapy, sound healing, and generally the use of sound for health and wellness. Today, our guest is Paul Cardall, who is a man that was born with half a heart and really not given much time to live. It was thought that he uh, wouldn't have much of a life, but through surgeries, through many challenges um, and determination, he did eventually as an adult have a heart transplant and music really illuminated the way through these health challenges, uh, these struggles, even despair over losing uh, a friend in an accident when he was young. Uh, the piano itself transformed his life. And now through his own compositions, records, I mean, he's topped the billboard charts multiple times and he's listened to all across the world. He brings this joy, this light um, for people in a transformative way all over the world through his piano compositions. And so wonderful to talk with Paul about his own health journey, his musical journey, and where he is now in life, and how music was really therapeutic for him, and now how it is for his audience as well. Just a beautiful conversation with Paul. This podcast is sponsored by the Ohm Shop and Spa. The Ohm Shop is located in Sarasota, Florida. You can also find them on the web at theohmshop.com, and they have the United States' largest showroom of crystal bowls, vibrational tools, sound healing instruments, and they really are such a help if you really want to step up your level uh, with new instruments, uh, unique instruments, or you're just really trying to find something specific. They are so helpful. So check out their learning center as well, their blog, and all they have to offer, including trainings that I teach there in Florida, sound healing training. So thank you so much to the Ohm Shop for their sponsorship and support of this podcast. Please enjoy this episode with Paul Cardall. All right, well, thank you so much, Paul, for jo joining here on the podcast. It's so great to have you um, and really looking forward to introducing you to the podcast audience. Let's start with your um, your journey, your health journey first, really your childhood and young adulthood um, and your miracle story that, you know, you were born with a condition. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Uh, sure, sure. It, uh, you know, we all have experiences that lead us to discover a purpose in life. And for me, um, I came to this world with only half a heart. And obviously I don't remember the story, but my parents raised me with the idea that I wouldn't live very long. It's a miracle that I'm actually still alive because day one, I was only 22 hours when they cut into me and operated on a heart that they said was only half there. So uh, it was a single functioning ventricle. Um, congenital heart disease is the number one cause of infant related deaths and my mother when she was six years old had her mom had given birth to a child that had passed away two days after um and so when i was born you know obviously my mother was very 
um, worried. And in those days, in the 70s, you wouldn't have the child stay in the room with you. It just was like not tradition. So you would put the child in the crib and you would just hope to God that nothing happens. And so this was, this was the notion, but I kept um, living and I would go to the doctor, you know, every three to six months as a child. And they always said, you know, it was inevitable. I'd need another procedure. There was no way a human heart in an infant could grow and survive. So, um, but I kept living at age 13. I had endocarditis, which is a major uh, staph infection. And it's in the bloodstream and they couldn't figure out why antibiotics wasn't killing it. And it was basically killing me. But fortunately, because of technology, there was a brand new machine called the MRI. I kind of laugh about that now because they're everywhere, but it was in a warehouse by a hospital and uh, I had to get an ambulance, go like a block from the children's hospital to this adult hospital, got inside of it. Um, and if you've ever been in a tube, like the MRI, it's very claustrophobic. So I was completely restless. And they actually put on some music to help calm me down. And it helped, uh, and then some sedatives. And they found I had a walnut-sized blister on the section that the surgeons had repaired when I was an infant. So they had to go in. And again, they told my parents, and I, I hear all this, uh, you know, this surgery is practically impossible, but we're going to do our best. So that's, you know. Um, they were successful. They were successful. The technology was there to save me. I had to come back a year later for major reconstructive surgery. So that was the mentality of my childhood was, okay, I don't know if I'm going to be around because science is saying no. My parents were optimistic. My mother was, uh, a, a, you know, a, a believer in a higher power and her Christian faith was very important and played a role in it all. And um, I relied on that for hope and it helped me. And um, I went back for that surgery and it was just miserable. <laughs> they had to go in one or two and then a third time because they had to then put it in a pacemaker because the surgeon had made some mistakes. And of course my kids, my, my, my friends that I, my friends over at the junior high were like, hey man, don't worry about it. My grandpa's got a, a pacemaker and he fought in World War II. So, so I was like, okay, cool, cool. Um, so you try to look for the best of it all. But then ultimately, 22 years later, I went into heart failure and uh, was listed for a heart transplant. The surgeon at the time said, you know, look, you have O positive blood. So everyone has pretty much O positive blood. It's very difficult to get uh, a heart. And I said, well, how long do I have? Again, he says, well, you got maybe a year. By then I, you know, married and has a, have a child and gosh. And then he, I said, well, how long does it take to get a heart? And he's like, about a year. Like, oh my goodness. Well, can, can somebody give me some good news? Uh, I, I was put on the transplant waiting list for 385 days. I was wearing oxygen all the time because it was a congenital defect. They put me in the children's hospital where I lived as an adult, which was a unique, beautifully ironic um, experience because it led me to be less concerned about myself and more concerned about, because I'm a dad, all these kids that were in the hospital. And uh, after 385 days, they came in and said they had a perfect match. And uh, I had to prep for surgery. And, you know, what do you say to your family? This is a life or death surgery. Uh, they take your heart out. 
and then doctors have come up with the way to remove your heart so clinically you're 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 dead and then they take the heart of another person and they raise you from the dead temporarily so i mean it's like how in the world do you deal with the fact that you're taking the heart of somebody who is loved um what do you say to your family as you go off into a surgery you know i always to ask people you know if you had a birth certificate with an would, and I'd put it in an envelope and told you, hey, I've got the expiration date on the back of it. Would you like to know? Most people are like, no, 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 no. So that was kind of my, my life. And, um, but all of these experiences, you know, the miracle I think of it all, because each one is a miracle, is that along the journey of my life, and I think so many people's lives, People come into our lives who are there to buoy us up, to help us. And then we discover gifts that we have. And for me, after my third surgery, where I was just exhausted and tired of being ill, um, I discovered music. And I sat at the piano after I had lost a friend who was perfectly healthy, really angry. Why is he gone? Why am I fighting for my life? You know, he gets hit by a car. My parents are paying a fortune to keep me alive. What is going on? What is this life all about? And I just hit like a, a note on the piano. And that note was a tone that just resonated with me because I'd been in the hospitals hearing all these beep, 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 beeps, you know, just the emergency sounds. And I've always been emergency mode. So when I hit that note, boom, and then a second one and the third one, it started to help my brain process the trauma. And I began to understand through music, not through words or language, but through the universal feeling that music creates that's somehow through it all, you hear something divine, something outside of ourselves say, everything's gonna be okay. So I began the habit of creating and the rest is pretty much history composing and sharing music yeah oh, wow beautiful um, a couple questions on that specifically uh, from the health side what perspective on on life do you think these challenges present presented you and being a transplant recipient what what kind of understanding says that has that brought you looking back on it now well, I, I think everybody is different because of the circumstances you're born into. I was born into a deeply religious Mormon home. And so there was this idea that we lived before we were born. We're here to get a body and learn to control it. And I was given kind of a kind of a crappy body. And then the idea then was to, you know, be a very good person. And then you get to go on and get all these rewards in the afterlife and excel, uh, become like God. So that was like my mindset. And that's all I ever knew. That was all I knew. Um, but then obviously with my the music and um, beginning to travel and get outside of that culture, I began to see that everybody is going through the same scenarios that I'm not the only person with a heart problem. I'm not the only person who has to go to the hospital and face death. I'm not the only person whose mother worries constantly. 
um, because I had felt like, I don't know, I don't know why it was, but like, you kind of feel like uh, the boy in the bubble where everyone is around you. And then once you have that miracle, it's kind of like everybody kind of just goes away. You know, it's like they say, okay, well, you know, somebody's passed away, so pray for that family. Uh, well, the minute the funeral's over, nobody, everyone stops praying. So you feel this energy, energy go. Um, but for me, you know, and this is kind of a long answer to a short question is, I think life is pretty amazing. It's, uh, it's quite an adventure. It's extremely ironic. We go through the worst scenarios to experience the biggest highs in life. And it's, you know, my daughter was saying to me, you know, gosh, I just wish you and mom were still together, you know, because after the transplant, we ended up uh, getting a divorce because I sunk into this crazy, funky depression and just was not myself. And uh, we're very good friends today, but she's like, I wish that, I really wish that, you know, but then she wouldn't have, you know, the brothers she has now and the, the other sister she has now. And the, the other dad that she has now and all the friends she has now. So these are the crazy ironies in life. And we have to kind of learn to just accept crap happens. But as a result, you can turn that into something beautiful. Um, and that, yeah, yeah, I fought every day to live. I've fought my whole life to live. And the older I get, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm still here. And I don't want it to ever end. It's worth going through that stuff, ironically, but I don't wish it on anybody. Right. But to trust, trust the challenges. Yeah. Trust the challenges. Now you, you had just said that uh, after the transplant, you were, you sunk into a depression. I was, I was curious, you know, all of a sudden having a full, healthy heart what did that do to you physically, emotionally, and mentally, spiritually? I mean, did you feel like a different person? What, what was that experience like? It's such a good question. Well, I didn't, I, I had felt like my entire life, you know, you survive and you adapt. And so all I ever knew was half a heart. So when you get a brand new heart, you know, this was four chambers, this was normal anatomy. So the only thing I could compare it to is it was like I was driving around this beat up old truck, grandpa's truck, that everybody takes camping, fishing and moving and all that stuff, but it breaks down all the time. And then all of a sudden they hand me the keys to a Porsche. And I've never driven a fast car. And I don't know the rules. But we, you know, I've, I've talked to a neurologist, transplant people, psychiatrists. They basically say that the human heart is really yet to fully be discovered because we do have memory DNA embedded into us. And so, you know, you learn to ride a bicycle and you'll always know how to ride a bicycle, even if you don't do it for 20 years. So whatever my donor experienced and, and he did take his life and was depressed, I was never a depressed person, but now all of a sudden I have his DNA inside of me integrated into my own. And um, 
there's no nerve from the brain telling my heart what to do because it's everything is disconnected and the heart runs independent of the brain. So the heart, they're starting to believe, and, and, and I don't remember the scientist or the, there's two or three that are saying that the, the heart is actually the master of the body and not the brain. And that's completely new philosophy and science. Um, so, so yeah, yeah, it's, uh, you, you, what you do, you get survivor's guilt because, you know, you fully invest in other lives, people who are waiting for transplants, who need insurance, who aren't getting insurance, who aren't allowed in children's hospitals because they're adults, there's not enough experts. So you go into survivor's guilt of why am I here? What's going on? And, and uh, you start to drown in death, you know, and uh, I'd been told that I had uh, more PTSD than uh, several soldiers that had come back from, from the first Gulf War. And I don't think you should compare, but that's what they were telling me based on the trauma that I had experienced from day one, them cutting into me and taking me away from my mother. And so it, it sounds like that a, a big coping mechanism was, was music. So you started piano early on, but just briefly, is that right? You, you had a little training when you were a child and then yeah, left it for a while? Yeah. My mother had eight kids. So when you put the kids in piano lessons, you, you hope they stick with it so you can get them out of your hair to read your book or watch General Hospital. <laughs> so, but I didn't last. I hated it. I hated being told uh, what to do and I wanted to be outside and I didn't stick with it. And I've, I don't know if I should, I don't know if that would have changed the music. I think it would have, but it wasn't until I was 15, 16 that I began to be really interested in piano music because it was the 80s. George Winston was popular. Yanni had that big, long, flowing hair. And um, the movie Amadeus came out about Mozart. And it was actually a music video of one of Mozart's songs on MTV. So like classical piano was cool. And um, I noticed how people would gather around a piano and everyone was playing Heart and Soul or, you know, Rip Your Rag from Billy Joel or some of these other songs. And I, I wanted to be able to do that, but I couldn't. But then a friend of mine who could do all that passed. And I was just trying to figure out like, what is going on? What, you know, like I had mentioned. And that's when I hit those notes and I would just sit and play and it would process, it would help me process. So it was really intuitive. It was a, as a way to express these emotions that you didn't really know how to perhaps express through, maybe it was crying or whatever it was. It was the notes on the piano were just expressing what you needed to. Yeah, I think yeah. every, I think all art is somewhat autobiographical, even though authors won't admit that characters about, are really about themselves. Um, but, um, so every one of the albums I've done ever since, you know, my first one, it's all things I've been processing and feeling. And so when you go through and you're like, well, hold on, this, this is more orchestra. And then here's some lyrics and here's this and this, you can kind of go back. I can go back and go, oh, okay. I know what was going on. Right. 
Yeah, well, as a, a violinist myself, I'm a string player. I, I love the the strings that you have in your music. And of course, uh, some of your music can be very orchestral and you have vocalists. So uh, just explain how it started from that, that one note that really shifted how you felt to uh, how that kind of built over the years into your career. Well, I think we're ever evolving. And as seen in my music, you know, I start with just a piano, just solo piano. But then I started to learn more uh, about music. And I was thinking, oh, I need to add a cello. And so I added a cello on the next record. And then the next record was a quartet. And then the whole and then the next record had a whole orchestra. And it's it's very expensive to do that. And so when you're an independent artist like me, and though I had signed with Virgin Records and done two albums for them, I had discovered that um, I could do the marketing um, better because I was more passionate and understood it from college. Um, And you're always going to get further when you handle the things that you are most passionate about than delegating them off to people who don't really want to be at work. So I, I really focused on explaining to people, you know, what the music was, and it was very specific. It's a resource to help you f- access spiritual feelings, emotional, mental healing. And so each album continued to progress and grow to where I think by the time I did my eighth record, New Life, which I wrote after the transplant, I finally knew my voice in terms of, okay, this only requires this. And this only requires that this needs this. Whereas before I was kind of just experimenting and trying to develop. So I would say the first half of my records are all me kind of at college, you know, and, and like this brand new album I just did, that's me finally realizing you know what i don't need to go and sit for hours and try to learn or create this song i need to just go in and kind of be a medium like just play what i feel so i i went into the uh, the studio and i took this piano that is slightly out of tune and upright and broken. And I'm a Steinway artist. I'm supposed to play like the very best $250,000 pianos. I, I, I think it was like a $30,000 upright piano. And I thought this is so human because it's flawed. But my job is to try to create something beautiful out of something that is broken. And so I sat and I played for three days. Uh, we recorded four hours every night. And from that, I took the best 14 songs and then when we add the strings i'm like i was like this is going to be horrible this is just this is not going to go over with my audience at all but the feedback we're getting as we've started to release songs like september winds and and thanksgiving like i'm blown away because it was very vulnerable to release it but i'm blown away by people are like oh finally you know we're back to the new life record we're back to this album this album um and i actually enjoy listening to it now you know i usually don't listen to my records yeah i mean i guess some people describe the style as classical or like pop new age uh minimalist but i think maybe the best way to understand um, the style is 
perhaps some of the things your audience has expressed to you. Um, are there any stories that really pop into your mind that people have reached out to you and said your music has influenced this or helped them through something? Uh, yeah, it's crazy. Like I, I just posted this new video last night, uh, Advent Prayer, and um, this woman right here, uh, Lakala, you're the only reason I can sleep peaceful at night. Your music is the only thing that can calm me down when I'm stressed. Your music has gotten me through the hardest trials, including severe depression and suicidal thoughts in high school. Like, who, who leaves comments like that? I mean, that's so vulnerable. You know, you go down and it, it brings me peace. It, it, and look, I get it. I, I was, I've been on the, the deathbed my entire life. I've had friends um, who have taken their life, who raised money to keep me alive. So it's like, I'm trying to make music that is, helps people know their value, how important they are, and that this life is worth living. We seem to be under this umbrella right now that um, it's just not a good world. But I think we're going through growing pains because cultures that are diverse are starting to, we're starting to get to know each other through this internet and communication. We're starting to become a family finally on this planet. And we're going through growing pains. And the great thing is, is we're not doing it with weapons. We're doing it with communication. There's always going to be division, but people get so stressed out and I get it. But sometimes we just have to step away and, and, and go hit a note on the piano and try to start processing how amazing and how valuable we are, you know? Yeah, music has a beautiful way of bringing people together or, or shifting how they feel without somebody having to say anything at all, right? And I think you're so right that we are in this time of anxiety and fear, um, but growing pains is a, is a good is a good way to express that because people are trying to find different ways um, to communicate, and we and here we are on on Zoom able to to connect in this way, and it's really uh, a beautiful learning experience for us all. Um, why do you think music is a way in to shift our stress, to shift our emotion? Um, I know for you, initially, your music was quite personal. It was for you. And yeah. now I'm sure what you're offering is a service to others. So how do, you, how do you find music to be so therapeutic? Well, Harvard has actually done a lot of studies on this, Harvard Health. And they have, they have put people in MRIs and, and put things on them and taken surveys and discovered that when you listen to certain types of music, particularly the type that I'm creating, classical or anything like that, your body is releasing dopamine. And most people will go, uh, when, you have, when you have pain, you try to soothe yourself in some way. When you're a baby, you suck your thumb, you know? When you get into your um, 
adolescence, you, you know, you deal with your sexuality and you, you, you try to soothe yourself through self-pleasure or you get into drugs or alcohol or, or there's all these things to soothe us. So what are the positive things that can help soothe us? You know, uh, reading a book, um, um, going on a walk, um, doing art, writing a poem, but what, listening to music releases that dopamine that gives us pleasure. And if you play an instrument, they said through the studies uh, that you are more likely to not get Alzheimer's because you've learned to these brain uh, exercises um, focus. And, and so when parents are giving their kids piano lessons, you're not giving them piano lessons so they can play an instrument. You're giving them piano lessons so their brain can develop better. You know, the child's brains don't develop till they're age 25. And yet they're doing things to themselves that slow that process. So by the time they're 40, they're still thinking like a 13 year old, which is why we have so many problems. I was, I was that same person you know, living a 13-year-old boy's mind going through my first divorce. It, it, it's, well, my one only. <laughs> and, and so it was like, I needed to figure out how to grow up and I hadn't grown up because I'd still been living my mentally in a hospital. And so with music, I was able to start to process being a man, what that means for me um, and how that defines me. And so... There are so many scientific benefits, and I actually listed on my, my website um, all the benefits, the music therapy, some of these studies from Harvard, from McGill University, clinical facts. Yeah, and it, it is so relevant and also individual, I think. Um, everybody has a different type of music that they might use for motivation versus calming. Um, would you say overall most of yours are, are fairly calming, like more for relaxation, uplifting uh, type that's, music? But yeah. Yeah, that's the goal. That's yeah. the goal. But, you know, an artist is always unsettled. So this, you know, a couple of years ago, I did like a, a I, I was into Christian worship music. I was not in that world. I was, you know, Mormon at the time but I really liked it. And so I was experimenting with another uh, Christian in, in Utah and it was like two different worlds. And I was just trying to bridge relationships with people and it was really fun. But my audience who was used to piano music was like, what is all this rock and roll? And I'm all, I got to breathe sometimes. And so then this, uh, and then I went back to it and, um, you know, had my first number one billboard record. And then I wanted to like, this record label was like, well, I want you to do that again. And I was like, well, actually I want to do this. So I collaborated with, I wanted to have a country music video, which you do not have a country music video if you're doing piano music. And my record label was like, no, you can't get on CMT. I'm all, oh yeah? So, so anyways, I got with this group, uh, Thompson Square. They wrote, are you going to kiss me or not? And uh, we got together, I wanted to write this song basically tell my story, the man with half a heart. And um, then while we were writing that, we wrote this song called All I See Is Snow, because sometimes during the holidays, we're like, man, 
I don't know if I can get this gift. I, you know, I got to buy for the kids. I, I can't afford, they want this. I can't afford that. How am I, what am I going to do? And uh, you got to take care of this and this, and it can be a very stressful time. So sometimes all I see is snow. And uh, you know, I don't know if it goes for the people in Florida, but it's the same concept or idea. And so we, we made this video and it actually ended up on CMT. And of course, um, you know, it's, it's one of the most critically acclaimed albums, but it's because my audience is so used to piano music, it's my least selling, but I think it's one of my best. Um, and I, you have to do that. You have to step out of your comfort zone and try things. And that was one of those things that I tried. And, you know, David Archuleta's on it, Tyler Glenn from Neon Trees, uh, Ty, Ty Herndon, um, just all these amazing artists that I love. And the point of it was I was getting tired of um, people dividing people, you know, um, institutions tend to draw lines in the sand of who you can have relationships with, who are good, who are not. So I had this idea of creating the broken miracle, which was a, which is this concept of we're all beautifully broken miracles and everyone is welcome to the table. And if you go to this table um, and to have this party, you're going to recognize that some people are not there and you're going to look at the host and the host is going to say, yeah, let's go get them. So that was the idea of bringing, I've got a Christian pastor on the record. I have a very openly gay liberal on the record. I have, you know, a, a conservative Mormon kid. I've got this country band, but it's all, it all flows together because I wanted everyone to be united, you know? So. Right. Some people don't right. Know. I think, uh, both in musical style, it's it's amazing to branch off and just challenge yourself and be inspired by different things. But same same thing from perspective and politics and religion and and just realize that uh, uh, all can be accepted and all can be united. Yeah, that's beautiful. So how has the past you know year and a half, two years been for you? Has it uh, this time allowed you more composition rather than perhaps touring or what, 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 what have things been like for you uh, since the pandemic? Pandemic has been interesting because um, it's been extremely challenging for so many people. And we've, you know, uh, my parents have lost friends as a result of it. Um, my grandma passed away, um, not from COVID, but shortly before it. Uh, we lost uh, my wife's father right before it happened. Um, but during it, um, I was able to create the broken miracle and then I was able to create this this new album December and I think the thing that I observe most is the miracle of communication the way that these zoom uh, podcast or other mediums started to really propel communication and dialogue and I, I really think what historically we'll look back and go, oh my gosh, what a significant time where the world shrank in terms of recognizing our value. And obviously the media has to focus on the bizarre. So you see these stories that are just horrible and bad things happen. But you know, when you're driving on the freeway, you're always wondering why is there traffic and why is it everybody slowing down? When I get past that accident, I'm not going to slow down. I'm going to keep going, but you slow down. 
So the media has to create these accidents on the side of the road um, and then propel it. And so then everybody's obsessed with it. Everybody's, you know, has an opinion about it and then the politics. And I mean, bottom line, we are progressing as a species and we are preserving life by having children. Um, I'm a big proponent. We need to have more children. Um, and um, yeah, I think, I think we're just, we're learning to get along in the sand pile, you know, and we've got some ways to go, but we're communicating with each other and learning about other cultures and race and religions and a lot of institutions are falling apart because people are seeing through the bullcrap, but we're becoming more united, I think. Yeah, it's been a very revealing time, and it, that's a great way to look at the blessings, the blessings of it and how it has brought us together and, and so many offerings. Uh, you know, you see people, whether it's Facebook or through Zoom, offering all these things that maybe you wouldn't have had a chance or opportunity to, to connect with or learn about um, until we were presented with these, these challenges. Yeah, yeah. So talk about your new album and, of course, any other new exciting projects you have going on or coming up well thank you yeah december is the new album and it's it's something you can listen to year-round i i created it as a very specific resource to help you process feelings and emotions and it's something that you can be present with or have in the background and a lot of times i say honestly if you can't fall asleep by the fifth song i failed you because it is a an antidote um, to a narcotic or to alcohol, you can listen to the music and it will calm you and soothe you. And I've had so many parents go, gosh, the minute I put, put the music on, the kids calm down. Like, <laughs> you can't give them Benadryl. So, you know, try, try, try music. And so, yeah, that's, that's pretty much what's been happening is the focus of making this album. And then I have music videos that are going to be coming out that are very emotionally stimulating with nature, elements of nature, um, something you can put on the screen. And again, it's visual. The kids will be mesmerized by, by what it is. Um, and then, yeah, sheet music, sheet music is out and, uh, just, you know, I just keep writing, creating and, um, yeah. That's fantastic. Wonderful. Well, I'll be sure to um, link your website. And of course, people can find you on all the various platforms and, and have a listen. Um, so thank you so much for sharing your story, sharing your light um, and, and your music and, and being a service to, to so many people through your, through your gifts and, and your connection. Thank you. Natalie. Through music. So yeah, any, any last things you want to leave us with? Any last thoughts? I just, you know, I just think um, anyone who is in a low place, um, don't quit. Honestly, don't, don't quit. You know, I, I'm a big believer in the afterlife uh, because I've faced death so many times. I don't know if my mind has forced me to believe that, but I've experienced some of it. And I'm telling you, this life is amazing. It really, really is. And my grandfather, who just 
you know, endured World War II, got injured. The life they provided for my family is mind blowing. And we can create not music, but we can create experiences for other people around us who need us. And so when you're in a funk, you know, you know, you are loved, you are valued, listen to some good music, go dance, you know, put on some prints or something. I don't know. <laughs> so just enjoy the moments and remember those moments. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, I appreciate you so much. And thank you for the joy and light that you that you offer through your own journey and through your music. Thank you so much, Paul. Yeah, we'll see you later. Okay, take care. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Sounds Heal Podcast, sponsored by the Ohm Shop and Spa. And keep up to date with what's coming up next at soundshealstudio.com. Check things out on Facebook at Sounds Heal Studio. And you can listen to all previous podcasts as well as music meditations on the YouTube channel at Sounds Heal Studio. Be well and stay tuned. <laughs>